Hello, darlings. I'm Brett Dillon, looking absolutely fabulous today, but you can't see that, can you, poor dears? This is the movie Chronicles. This episode, I wave my fairy wand, the people keep telling me I should leave in my pants, and we're in 1977. Can't you just feel the LGBTQT love? Mmm. Embrace the love, darlings. We begin in Canada with the real QT in Outrageous. Director and script, Richard Benner. Script, Margaret Gibson Gilbert. Director of photography, James B. Kelly. Editor, George Appleby. Music, Paul Hoffert. Actors, Craig Russell, Hollis McLaren, Richard Easley, Alan Moyle, Helen Shaver, and Michael Ironside. Outrageous chronicles the adventures of Lisa, a crazy woman, and Robin, a drag queen, who interact like brother and sister. It feels like the film is made around the drag performances. This isn't quite true. Their placement creates a sense of subtext showing how life imitates art. Lisa writes, which is a hard process to show visually, Robin drags, which is not only unusual, but not too abysmal. When we first meet them, Robin is a hairdresser, and Lisa has just released herself from a mental institution. It seems to be schizophrenia. The details of her issues are not gone into. The focus is on her bizarre behaviours. Lisa knew Robin from before, and they were close. She needs a place to stay, otherwise it's back to the nuthouse. The story focuses on Lisa, whose struggle is to become independent. This is mirrored by Robin, who has a similar struggle. As a gay man, he has transgender issues he wants to keep in the closet. He is frustrated at not being who he wants to be. Lisa is just crazy enough to tell him the only person stopping him from living the dream is himself. It is Lisa who encourages Robin to go to a party dressed as Tallulah Bankhead. It is a creative breakthrough for him, and he starts performing at a gay club by creating a repertoire of different starlets. Lisa teaches people to embrace Robin's feminine side, and Robin teaches people to embrace the crazy, but uh, mostly he protects Lisa from people who don't. Then Lisa becomes pregnant, despite being warned by her psychologist not to. Robin, by the way, is not the father. This creates a new level of awfulness due to the medications she is on. She wants to keep the baby. Robin has been fired from his hairdressing job after the clients found out about his night job. This inspires him to become a full-time professional drag queen. But Canada is not where the money is. Robin goes to New York. His taxi driver becomes his manager. He's planning to make enough money to support himself and Lisa. The place that hires him is the Jack Rabbit Club. Robin has been working up some new material based on the fact the majority of drag acts are miming to records. Robin is an excellent mimic and plans to sing live. She's a hit, baby! 
Meanwhile, Robin's friend Martin is supposed to keep an eye on Lisa. Sadly, Martin is stabbed in an argument, a very sensitive area to be stabbed in, and can no longer support her through her pregnancy. Lisa moves in with another old friend, now an editor, who sees worth in Lisa's story, but is also passionately anti-Robin. Her position shifts when Lisa has a relapse and she realizes what Robin has had to put up with and cope with. The baby arrives just as Robin gets an upmarket gig. Out of the ghetto and into the spotlight, darlings! The baby dies. Robin drops everything to be with Lisa. As Lisa is feeling depressed, Robin comforts her with the memorable line, You're not sick. You just have a healthy case of mad. The ending is a little too cute for its own good. I admit there is a balance that needs to be found in the finale. It should suggest a happy ending without implying that that is what will happen. We have seen that this couple have been able to negotiate all that life has thrown their way so far, and we have also seen that they have created their own, albeit non-standard, family. We must leave them wishing them well, but without believing in a rose-tinted future. Director Richard Benner was born in 1943 in Sterling, Illinois, USA, where accurate records don't seem to be held, and he died of AIDS complications in 1990. Richard grew up in Kentucky. You could almost call him a Kentucky femboy. He studied drama in California and England. Tired of the dismal English weather, he moved to Canada... In the early 70s, Richard pitched an idea to the Canadian Film Development Corporation about a gay hairdresser dreaming of New York success. This became Outrageous, a landmark in Canadian queer cinema. A sequel came out of the closet in 1987, but it was a decade too late for anyone to care. Actor Craig Russell was born on January the 10th, 1948, in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and he died of AIDS complications in 1990. As a teenager, Craig became president of the May West Fan Club and briefly worked as her secretary. His goal was to become a star. He worked as a hairdresser to pay for it, moving in with Margaret Gibson who wrote a short story about their time as roommates that was developed into the film Outrageous. By 1971, Craig was a regular at the Toronto Gay Clubs. He was popular enough to be performing in Las Vegas, Hollywood, San Francisco, Berlin, London, Paris, Amsterdam, Hamburg, and Sydney. He began to struggle psychologically and turned to drugs to help. Cocaine was the drug of choice, and this was how he most probably caught AIDS. Which is not to say he didn't have multiple partners, male and female. In 1973, Craig fathered a daughter, and in 1982 married close friend Laurie Jenkins. Publicly, Craig identified as gay, but, uh, you know, there's frequently a difference between the public and the private personas. Actor Hollis McLaren was born on February 5, 1956, in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Holly graduated from the University of Windsor and studied drama at RADA in London, England.
history was wearing high heels and falsies. On. February the 28th, Queen Elizabeth II opened New Zealand's Parliament. You know what they say about queens, ducky. June the 16th, Spain has its first democratic elections in 41 years. August the 9th, Spain legalized the Communist Party, which had been outlawed since 1939. August the 26th, the Charter of the French Language is passed, making French the official language of Quebec, Canada. October the 23rd, the president in exile of Catalonia returned to Barcelona, Spain, and the autonomous government of Catalonia was restored. I take us now to New Zealand. I don't know about you, Ducky, but when I'm feeling sad, I want to be Joan. Director, Stephanie Beth. Director of Photography, Jocelyn Allison. Editor, Stephanie Robinson. Music, Nancy Keel and Diane Cadwaller. Actors, Josepha Judd, Marjorie Allison, Barbara Payne, Renee Turner, Joan Lies and Hilary Finley. I Want to Be Joan is a short film that grew out of the 1976 United Women's Convention in Christchurch, New Zealand. The opening credit sequence is a one-take drive-through suburbia. The rest of the film is Talking Heads interviews punctuated by montages. There is a baby montage, but the rest used New Zealand art to illustrate the theme. The opening statement covers the idea that women are secondary, i.e. they have no existence beyond the function society has assigned them. Most of the interviewees were married in the late 50s. It was something they were told they wanted and that they needed to be fulfilled as a person. They learnt the hard way that traditional roles are a con. A quick comment that no one teaches the skills of parenthood transitions into the second statement. Parenthood is presented as something anyone can do. Therefore, it is not valued. I felt the argument was made poorly here. I think the point being made is that anyone can fly a plane, but it takes training to fly a plane safely. Treating parenthood with such contempt as a natural consequence leads to bad parenting. We then get into an example of spousal abuse. The real issue is that in the traditional model, the husband becomes the sole source to the outside world. This serves as the transition to the third statement. An interviewee describes her mental breakdown. She does it better at the end of the film when she says, I tried to be the perfect mum and failed. Then I tried to be the perfect wife and failed. Now, I just want to be Joan. Society presents motherhood as the most essential job in the world, yet it provides no training or financial compensation. This was a snippet men's lib. If men want to be liberated, this film says, they've got to do it for themselves. If they feel constricted within their jobs, at least they're being paid for it. 
A short insight into baby bashing is a segue into the fourth statement. Education has become vital for women. Not just traditional education, but education and life skills. One woman talks about how her traditional father has taken away her self-confidence. He can see how he doesn't want to let her go, but also realizes this is bad for both of them. Men need to be educated as well. To make it stick, there needs to be positive discrimination to empower women to reach their full potential. Men need to take responsibility for their own lives instead of seeing marriage as buying a slave. Equality means sharing of responsibilities. Equal share of power. Births squeezed out like gay farts. On. February the 20th. Gail Kim, the Canadian wrestler and actor. March the 11th. Jason Greeley, the Canadian singer. March the 16th. Monica Cruz, the Spanish actor. May the 4th. Emily Perkins, the Canadian actor. May the 16th. Melanie Linsky, the New Zealand actor. November the 29th. Brendan Fair, the Canadian actor. As a grand finale, I couldn't go past Spain without dropping in to see El Transsexual, director José Jara, script Juan José Porto and Antonio Foss, script and actor Paul Nashi, director of photography Leopoldo Villasenor, Editor, José Luis Pérez. Music, Carlos Montero. Actors, Agatha Lis, José Naito, Sandra Alberte, Vincent Parra, and Manuel Pereiro. To be honest, I found this film to be a low point in the career of horror movie icon Paul Nashi. I'm not sure if he chose to play the role to try to capitalize on the new freedoms in Spain and create a new image for himself, or if the producer felt attaching the Nashi name to his project might fool people that this was a horror film, or maybe thought transsexuality was horror enough. In brief, it is a sympathetic view of a tragic trajectory. In short, it is short for a feature film. It also has a B-movie vibe in using drag musical numbers to punctuate, or as chapter headers, for the narrative. Paul Nashi plays Sergio, a reporter in need of a story to get him back into the big time. Think Billy Wilder's Ace in the Hole, 1951. He's an exploitative sleaze, which is a knowing wink to the audience about the nature of this film. He thinks an expose on transsexuals will do the job. I'm not sure why. The sensationalist elements of the story might bring him success, or will probably limit him to writing yellow journalism. Maybe he's a fan of the latest Elvis alien baby story. On the other hand, he's a sleaze, so maybe he doesn't care so long as he's in the money. His mark is Lorna. 
a cabaret performer. She is a woman trapped in a man's body and is voluble enough to give the dirt Sergio wants and more. The only problem is she's gone missing. The film is Sergio discovering he actually has to do some work to find his source if he wants to get his story. Lorna has fallen in love. Her lover doesn't know she is a he. I'm guessing they met in a pub down in Old Soho. Lorna decides to fully transition to female to get her man. Girls will be boys and boys will be girls. It's a mixed up, shook up world except for Lorna. La 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 Lorna. With apologies to the kinks. But that's what I came out of the story thinking. Director José Jara was born in 1940 in Spain, and he died in 2014. José studied law at the Complutense University of Madrid. Upon graduation, he found life under the restrictions of the fascist regime too restrictive. He worked at various schools in England, teaching Spanish, and took a doctorate at the University of Geneva. This is where he came under the influence of the Nouvelle Vague cinema movement in France. At the end of the 60s, José returned to Spain intent on becoming a film director. He trained under Antonio Ezeiza and released his first film in 1977, Las Cuatro Novias de Augusto Perez. El Transsexual, 1977, was his second film and the first to mix documentary and fiction on the subject of transsexuality in Spain. Actor Paul Nashi, the king of Spanish horror, was born on September the 6th, 1934, in Madrid, and he died in 2009. It is probably as a result of the horrors of the Spanish Civil War, and Paul trying to find escape in comics and adventure films, that he grew up to be a pillar of horror cinema. He said, My personality was forged by the war by my exposure to religion, by a partially frustrated sexuality, by my family and social background, by the people I know, by love, and by the ever-present shadow of death. All this is reflected in my films as well. Paul is often quoted as referring to Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, 1943, which he first saw when he was 11, as the major influence on his life. His initial interests, however, were weightlifting. In 1958, he became lightweight champion of Spain, writing pulp fiction, especially westerns, under the pseudonym of Jack Mills, and doing cover art for a Spanish record label. I'm guessing none of these occupations paid particularly well. El Principe Encandenado, 1960, is his first and uncredited movie appearance. For this part of his career... Paul bummed around internet in international co-productions. Everything changed in 1967. He wrote the script for Frankenstein's Bloody Terror, 1968, with Lon Chaney Jr. in mind. Lon turned the part down, so Paul picked it up and returned to the role often over his career. It was later to reflect... Marginal characters have always held an appeal for me, the same kind of appeal you find with broken toys. I can readily identify with them. I've felt like a broken toy myself. Death deemed itself an invisible disease. I see you. 
on. October the 17th. Miguel Miura, the Spanish playwright, born 1905. November the 5th. Guy Lombardo, the Canadian band leader, born 1902. Next episode takes us to France in 1997. For more movie madness, buy up all the Movie Chronicles ebooks at an e-store near you. And don't forget to become a Patreon or Buzzsprout supporter. It'll annoy the horsey community. You know, all the naysayers. Until next time, the Pinot Gris is in the fridge, and the Bordeaux is probably in my stomach when we meet again. <laughs>